are walking through the book of Galatians, and I'm going to encourage you to open a Bible, follow along. It's on page 512, I believe, of the green and blue Bibles, and um, I want to remind you that if you don't have a Bible that you can easily read, or if you don't have a Bible at all, just take one of these. Uh, take, take one um, in front of you. It's yours. Gift. Love for you to have it. And, uh, and follow along. So um, 8.12 is where we're going to be. I am fairly passionate about this Sunday and next Sunday um, because I have a real heart for people who have gotten caught up in the mess of the church and Christianity and embittered. For me, uh, the topic of this week and next week in Galatians chapter 5 captures most of what goes wrong. Have you ever thought about, uh, isn't it interesting that some people start from the same place and end up in polarized places 20 years later when it comes to Jesus and church and religion. So if, if you were to take my 8-year-old son, his, uh, his third grade class at Crestview, just secular third grade class, and find the kids, separate the kids who go to a Bible-believing church today, and you just kind of mark them and follow them, 20 years from now, some of those kids, hopefully my son Spencer, would end up loving Jesus 20 years from now, loving church, finding value in faith and scripture and peace and joy they would say it's an important part of their life. While other kids in his class, same age, who go to a Bible-believing church 20 years from now, hate the church, hate Scripture, hate Jesus, hate faith, and want nothing to do with any of it. So they started out Bible-believing church, but they end up in two very polar opposite places with their faith. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5. And so this is why this is very important to me, and I hope that it's important to you. Now, remember we said that Galatians is in the New Testament. It was written a few dozen years after, a few decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the Roman Empire in the city of Galatia uh, to address some of their problems uh, and it's really about freedom and slavery. And somehow the Bible was used to either free people or enslave people. And Paul is trying to go down the freedom path. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and read a little bit and talk it through. <clears throat> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So we see that Paul is trying to speak to a contrast between a Jesus faith that brings freedom and some kind of faith that brings slavery. Now, yoke was that plank that would kind of bind two farm animals together, two oxen together. So it, it carries with it the idea of being bound to something that's restrictive. And so there's a contrast. There's the freedom that Paul says this should all bring. 
But for some people, somehow it's bringing slavery. So we'll read on to talk about how. What's he mean by this, this slavery? Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, that's a weird thing, you know, to associate with freedom and slavery. We'll talk about it in a minute. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, uh uh-oh, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So let's talk about that because on first reading, if you don't know much about the Bible, that just sounds weird. Um... Over the past few weeks, we've sort of set up how there were Christians in the church of Galatia that had a ritualistic background. They, they, they grew up Jewish with lots of rituals, lots of things that they had to do to be right with God. At the heart of those actions was circumcision on the eighth day. Every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. And that symbolized the fact that he was a part of the family of God. And so when you were an adult Jew, you would look at your life, your outward things, including circumcision, which doesn't go anywhere, and know, I am a part of the family of God because outwardly, this is what my life looks like. Okay? So they were finding their identity primarily in outward stuff. Now... The Gentile Christians, Gentiles were people who did not grow up in a Jewish faith. They grew up in a a, a pagan world in the Roman Empire, Greek culture. And they became believers in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again. They put their faith in that. They were a part of the church. And sitting together, wherever they sat, side by side with these Jewish Christians who had much different idea of what it meant to be right with God. And so the Gentile Christians were saying, we're right with God because of our faith. The Jewish Christians or the ritualistic Christians were saying, well, you don't have these things in your life. You haven't been circumcised. You're not a part of the family of God. You don't obey these commands of the Old Testament. You don't follow our feasts and culture and rituals. Your life doesn't look right. You're not a part of the family of God. You need to do these things. And that's why Paul says, you let yourselves be circumcised. All of a sudden now you're alienating yourself from the freedom of Jesus. It has nothing to do with circumcision. It has to do with a focus on outward things that make us right versus inward faith and what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. This is why he says you're alienating yourself from Christ and you're falling from grace. Because there's this freeing message in the Bible that is grace. Grace means undeserved favor. It stands against being right with God through work, 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 work. That's not grace. That's earning your way. And Paul says you're either going to earn your way and you can't do that. Or you're going to accept the cross. Remember we said I've been crucified with Christ last week. Paul says I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That Jesus paid the price for our sins. So it goes like this, if you're new to this. 
There are plenty of things that we do every day to separate ourselves from God. The Bible says that Jesus paid the death penalty for all of those things 2,000 years ago. Everything you've ever done, everything I've ever done, has been paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's paid for. That's grace. And you either inwardly accept that and accept that you're right with God because of that grace, or every day you're waking up trying to earn your way. Focus outwardly. And this is what creates the problems. People in Paul's day and people in our day tend to want to focus on the outward stuff. Many people are embittered by Jesus and faith and scripture and the Bible because they've been told you got to do this or God's going to be mad. You got to do this or God's going to be bad. You better not do that or God's going to be bad. And it's this focus on outward stuff. And Paul says that enslaves us. We have to find an inward place to live from. For through the Spirit, God in us, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So righteousness, being right with God, comes through faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision where you go to church, what days you do certain things on, whatever rituals that you feel like you have to do for God to be okay with you has no value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts, it's right there, is faith expressing itself through love. Not the outward gauntlet Okay, so when we say things like, my ticket to heaven, or I got to do this because of the big man upstairs, or my get out of hell free card, or whatever it is, that, that, that's that language that so many people hold that says somehow it's about what we do on the outside that affects our standing with God. And Paul says, no, it's faith. And that's what brings freedom. An inner realization that it's faith that frees us and not this constant, rigid focus on outward stuff. Because we do something wrong, we're tanked for a week because we think we've just blown it. That's not freedom, that's slavery. And that's not what God wants. Okay, over to verse 13. <coughs> Chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. <clears throat> For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what Paul does here is he, he takes our logical leap. <clears throat> We don't do real well with freedom. And we're quick to say things like, so does that mean I can just live however I want? I mean, that kind of freedom to truly say all your sins were paid for. Well, what if you're really forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future, even when you are in the middle of doing the sin? Like, what if that is how extreme God's grace is? Jesus really did pay the death penalty for that sin you're in the middle of doing right now. 
we typically can't handle that kind of freedom. And we're quick to say, well, then does that mean that I can just live however? And Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And I think what that means here is, yes, that's what that means. But that's not where our life comes from. We don't use our freedom to indulge. Now, that word indulge there carries with the idea of opportunity. What he's saying here is, yes, you have that freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity to be selfish. And then he talks about this spirit versus the flesh or the sinful nature. He's saying that when we are truly impacted by the cross, by the single most selfless act ever done, then the inside changes. And when the inside changes, all of a sudden, the outward life changes too. So instead of focusing on doing the right things constantly and, and enslaving ourselves with worry about our actions, we are free to let God change the inside and focus on the gratitude down deep of the forgiveness and life with God that we already have. And that will then change the exterior couple examples, biblical and um, life today. So I think I've shared this with you before. My, my, my two boys are Crestby Elementary, and the principal there is Mr. Half. And he's pretty renowned in Brunswick as being one of the best principals. And, and one of the things that I love more than anything is when I, when I take my boys in in the morning, <clears throat> uh, every now and then I'll take them in because they'll have an art project or something that I don't think can endure the bus. And, uh, and, and I will see Mr. Haft, who's probably about 6'4", stoop down, greeting each kid by hand as they come in, shaking hands with every kid, greeting them by name. Hey, Spencer. Hey, Elijah. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Bob. Hey, you know, whatever. Every, nobody names their kid Bob anymore, but that just came out. <laughs> every kid by name. Like he means it. And I, I talked with him before, I was sitting with him, and I said, okay, so I have a, an occupation that demands a lot of name memorization. What's your secret? And I'm expecting that he's going to say, well, I, you know, do some crazy association thing or, you know, whatever. I, um, and he looked at me and he says, well, when you care about the kids, you just remember their names. And I said, well, of course you do. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> but he's right. Instead of focusing on that outward, gotta produce this result, he inwardly has it right. Because what you could say is great principles memorize names, and that would be a true statement. But if a principal just starts name memory, that doesn't, that's not the real thing. The real thing is the great principal truly loves the kids and therefore. So you could say great followers of Jesus do this and this and this and this and this. And you could force yourself and your kids to do this and this, and, but the focus is in the wrong place. Great followers of Jesus love Jesus and are appreciative of the cross and the selflessness. They embrace the lifestyle.
Okay, now Jesus had a lot to say and got himself into a lot of trouble 2,000 years ago because the religious climate stood opposed to this. It was all a bunch of rules and all a bunch of outward stuff and everything on the inside was wrong. They started from the wrong place. Matthew chapter 23, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to blaze through it you can if you want to, but I promise I'm going to read what's really there. Um, 23 verses 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. The Pharisees were the clergy of the day. You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What are they doing wrong? <coughs> Verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. They're giving their stuff but they don't really care about people. They're doing the right things on the outside, but they're starting from the wrong place. And Jesus is saying, you're shutting people out of the kingdom because you're focused on the outward stuff and you're not worried about the inward stuff. He goes on, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Now Jesus does not often get this fired up. Okay, he's pretty ticked. It's because they're focused on the outward. They're burdening people because they're focused on the do's and don'ts and not the inward stuff. And I think that this is the difference between a kid that grows up in a, in a, in a Jesus environment that ends up loving Jesus or hating the whole thing. It's because they're subjected to this pharisaical kind of thing where it's all about do, 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 don't, 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 instead of what's going on in the heart. Woe to you Pharisees, teachers of the law, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, it's interesting because nobody was more obedient. <coughs> nobody had more outward signs of faith than the Pharisees. Even the way they dressed. But Jesus says, you're doing all that stuff and it's a waste. You're not even getting it. You're not even in God's kingdom. So it really is not about the outward stuff. It's about what's going on on the inside. Uh, Dwight Gooden, I think I got a picture of him here. Pitched for the Indians for a year. <clears throat> Over this past uh, couple of months, I read both his biographies. I'm not sure why. It just looked interesting. Um, he was poised to be one of the best pitchers of all time, and some would say that he was. When he was playing rookie ball, very, very young, uh, he you know, flew up through the system and got into the Mets uh, rookie ball league. And he was a prodigy, and everybody you know, came to watch him. And he, he was struggling his first couple outings getting hit a lot, not striking a lot of batters out. And finally, there was one particular game where his, where his pitching coach walked out to the mound and just lit him up, screamed at him, you know, you're done, you're going to be going home, I thought you had what it take you, takes, you don't, and if you can't figure this out, 
And, and, and then he talked with him about the stare. And Dwight Gooden says that every major league pitcher understands the stare. So you can pitch in all the right locations, but until you get the stare, you're not going to strike out batters in the major leagues. And the stare is the long look into the plate when you're able to look into the soul of the batter and know, I own you. And he said that once that pitching coach came out to the mound and he began to look in differently because something on the inside changed. He pitched the same, he had the same skill set, but he started to strike batters out right and left and became a strikeout king. Nobody struck out guys like Dwight Gooden once he learned the stare. It wasn't just about the mechanics. It wasn't just about the placement of the pitch. It was about the inside and knowing where it came from. And once he got that down, he became unhittable. And in the same way, it seems to me what Paul is saying, you can focus on placement. You can focus on what you're doing on the outside. And you can obsess over that. And that's slavery. Or you can embrace the fact that you're a child of God, that God loved you enough to die for you, that God paid the death penalty for you, that you live in a blanket of forgiveness and let the place that you live from change on the inside. And now you're free. And now you can enjoy your life and work on your character in a free environment. And it's a whole different place. And all of a sudden now, this church thing is the best thing on earth. Instead of a restrictive, oppressive place of slavery. And that's the difference between loving Jesus and hating the church. Now, I'm going to finish up with, with this last section here in verse 16. Because there are expectations. You know, when Paul says don't indulge, he's saying you're free but don't indulge. So this really isn't a license to live however there are high expectations. In fact, Jesus was notorious in, the, in his teachings to say, you know, the Pharisees say this, but I tell you this. And he would almost always take obedience to a whole other level. Purity and holiness, service, sacrifice to a whole other level. But the starting place is different. It's not to please God. It's because you are a child of God, this is what life looks like. So, <clears throat> So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Paul's very clear that there are like two forces always at work in us. There's the very human side that is very selfish, that walks into the store saying, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and there's the God side that walks into the store and says, let's buy that for third world poverty, and let's not buy that so that we can give this, and let's, like, you know, there, there are two forces at work within us, and Paul calls it the spirit and the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want, but if, you're, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if you're really led from what God is doing within, don't get focused on the external stuff. Just be aware that this battle is, is inside of you. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, Greek word there is porneia. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So there are those dark places. This isn't freedom, hey, whatever. This isn't freedom, so it's all relative. This is, there's right and there's wrong, and we need to know it, and our lives need to reflect it. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain that. We tend to think of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as like someday heaven. But that's not the way Jesus taught. That's not the way the Bible speaks of it. The Bible speaks of the kingdom as an inheritance that starts here and now. It's a lifestyle that starts here and now. It's about knowing what family you're a part of. And Paul's saying if you're really a part of the family of God inheriting, like think about it in ancient language, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of something was their property. And if you're inheriting it, it means you're a part of the family. And so Paul isn't saying, don't do that and don't do that and don't do that or you're out. He's saying if you look at these selfish qualities, and that's really what that is, it's a list of selfish qualities. When we do those things, we are being selfish. And if those things are a regular part of our life, it means that we are not living in the context of the family of God. It's very different than if you avoid those things, you're good with God. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying if that's a part of your life, then you need to check where you're coming from because that's not the qualities of the family of God. But instead, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as a lifestyle. It's bringing heaven here now because that's what this thing is all about. God sees a world that is wrecked and we are his chosen vehicle to redeem it. And the kingdom of God is a lifestyle that redeems the world. And you can either be selfish or you can focus on others. But we live in a world that is in desperate need of focus of others. And it's not with ridiculous, selfish behavior. It's with selfless, loving behavior. That's what puts the world back together. And so we need to throw out the, I got to do this to get to heaven. I got to do this for God to like me. If I do this, God's mad at me. Oh, I got to make up for this with my behavior. God loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for you. Now let's join him and put the world back together. And when we live from there, life gets good. That's the path to fulfillment and peace and comfort and hope and joy. It's when you go to bed at night feeling like you've done something good for the world. That's where real life comes from. Behavior is just a symptom. That's all it is, is a symptom. You sin, it's a symptom. You do good, it's a symptom. It's all about down deep. And so, my challenge for you today, if you have been embittered by your past, by things in the church that you saw growing up especially, I want you to compare it to what we just read. Okay, was what you saw in alignment with Scripture 
or were people imposing things on you that was contrary to what the... Like, don't blame the Bible because somebody misapplied it. And then for your own self, and we're going to talk more about this next week, we have to do some, some digging. Where are we living from? Because the truth is everybody is going to hear this and say, no, that's me. I live from the heart. I'm not legalistic. Okay, the Pharisees would have said the same thing when Jesus was telling them, you're blind guides. We have to do, we have to dig down deep. Are we embracing our identity as children of God? Are we starting from the grace that we already live in? Or are we somehow trying to earn it and judging things based on outward appearance versus what's going on?